This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. It's time for another episode of The Drop Podcast. The Drop is an unbiased, in-depth hockey podcast dedicated to the St. Louis Blues and all the hot topics within the NHL. So tell the ref you don't mind the game misconduct penalty. You are headed to the locker room anyway to listen to The Drop. Here's your host, Lance DeScott. Thanks for joining us once more. This is Lance from the Drop Podcast. It's great to have everyone back. In today's episode, we're going to be talking to Adam Scorgi. He is, of course, the guy that brought us Ice Guardians. If you haven't watched Ice Guardians, I don't know where you've been, but it was the movie that kind of took an in-depth look at what some people call goons, other people call fighters, other people call enforcers within the NHL. And he's here to talk about a new project that he's got going on. And it's a project that I think a lot of people are going to like. It's basically telling the story of Grant Fuhr. And I don't know of anybody that loves hockey, and especially people that grew up in the 80s, that does not respect Grant Fuhr, what he did for the Oilers, what he did for the game, and what he meant to the game. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. No problem, Adam. Uh, you know, you and I talked back when you were uh, finishing up Ice Guardians, and I know it was such a great success for you. And I wanted to go on a little bit of that before we got into the Grant Fear uh, documentary that you're working on. Uh, did that kind of meet or exceed your expectations of some of the some of the responses that you got from making that movie? You know, those are still going on today. Um, you know, I I dreamt when you know director Brett Harvey and I and the team went to go do it. I dreamt that it could do something like that, but to actually experience it and like go around the league now and talk to players that, you know, their eyes light up when they're like, Oh yeah, this Adam, he produced ice guardians. People are like, Oh really? Oh my God. Like, you know, and Kelly chase, who was my producing partner said that people on, he'll be in the intermission cause he's a color commentator for the blues and players will come up during intermission and be like, Hey, I watched ice guardians. Best hockey documentary I've ever seen thank you for making it right. Like, like, so Kelly, all the guys that were involved, they're like, they couldn't be prouder of it. Um, it really was a dream come true. And even, you know, with the Grant Fear project, when we first had a conference call with Grant that we were interested in doing his doc, he stopped it. And Grant's not a super vocal, like aggressive guys, very mild mannered, really, you know, well-spoken, but kind of a calm, easygoing guy. And he stopped the conference call to be like, Hey, Adam, just want to tell you, I watched ice guardians and I loved it great documentary like i'm really excited you and your team are doing my story right like how do you get a better compliment than that like i as a as a kid growing up being an oilers fan and a hockey fan there's moments i have to constantly pinch myself and just remember you know any days when you're grinding and you're doing the paperwork or you're having a tough day as we all do it's just like man i get to go interview my like my childhood legends and tell these amazing stories and make people look at the individuals that are in the film and the, and the game itself differently. It truly is a dream come true. And it just seems to be every day when I think it's done, I hear some other great story about someone that watched ice guardians and they look at the game differently. So I truly couldn't ask for a better team and a better product. Uh, I'm super, super proud of the film and just, I hope I can continue to make other films like that. Well, I can tell you from my standpoint, I've talked to several NHL players and former NHL players, Darren Kimball and Jamie Rivers that used to play for the Blues. And, of course, Kimball 
uh, was a, a an enforcer in the NHL. And when you talk to these guys, it's not just the enforcers that get that twinkle in the eye on that smile on their face when they talk about how great Ice Guardians is. It's all the guys. Jamie Rivers, you know, he was just a defenseman. He wasn't an enforcer. He played on. Uh, he played in a pair with with Al McGinnis for a lot of his times with the Blues. And yeah. you talk to these guys about it, and they get that little twinkle in their eye, and that shows you, like you said, that you've done something right. Number one, and hey, if you can get paid to do that, and you love what you're doing, and it touches that many people, that's just a bonus. It, it it truly is a dream come true, and I tell young filmmakers that because uh, I'm, I'm I'm I try to be as approachable as I can because that's one part of the industry that I don't like in the film industry. I hate the egos yes. and bullshit that's involved, and perhaps that's why I stay in Canada and live <laughs> in Edmonton. So I, I stay humble roots where it's minus thirty today. Um, when I meet with these young filmmakers, you know, and I tell them like, listen, I'm like the dream isn't winning Oscars and rubbing shoulders with these big wigs. I'm like, that's not the dream, at least not for me. I was like, the goal you should have is should be able to tell these amazing stories and do that for a living. You know, very few people get to do what they truly love to do and earn a living at it and support their families. And if you do that, that's the dream come true. And you hit the nail on the head. For me to be able to do this, you know, especially to have these pro players honor, and I love Rivs. Like, he, we actually interviewed him for... for um, uh, mm-hmm. for making Coco Grant Fear's story because he played with Grant as a rookie sure. when Grant got traded to St. Louis. Um, great guy. And just to hear it from all those players, and I get pulled aside all the time where it, it's it's so humbling. I have to text some of my childhood best friends because, like, I try not – of course, in the moment, I don't <laughs> geek out about it, right? I'd be professional. I'm like, thank you. And like, but, you of know, course. I have to share it with someone that doesn't – I'd, like, look at it as bragging, right? I'm like, dude, I just had, like – you know, we, like we did a screening in honor of Dave Semenko when he passed. Unfortunately, this this yeah. this, this this summer we or fall, uh, we did a, a screening of Ice Guardians. We raised money for a local charity in his honor, and because he's so great in the movie. And you know, mm-hmm. we had Milan Lucic, you know, current Oiler, come to kind of get some, you know, to really you know raise some money. And and Milan's first thing when he after he watched the movie is he was just like. He was like, well, they're like, what are your thoughts? Your first time watching, he's like, well, my biggest thing is like, I really wish I was in it. Like, I want to be in this movie. Like, where was my call, right? And I was like, you know, when you hear players like upset because they can see, they're like, man, this isn't just like, this is going to be a timeless piece that wherever the game evolves to, you can understand where it was and who these guys were that contributed to the history of hockey in this role in an era when it happened. Like, Milan was like, dude, I, I want to be in this. Like, where was my call? So, like, you don't get a better compliment than like that. I, I, I'm texting my childhood friends to, like, tell them these stories. I don't seem like I'm being cocky or, or you know, or arrogant about it. But I'm stoked like anybody else, like a fan would. Like, you know, you want to get an autograph or a picture with these guys, and I have these guys saying, like, why, why wasn't I in your movie? Right, like I wanted to be in your movie, right? It doesn't get better than that. that that's just great. That's great. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was on the uh, Jamie Rivers and Darren Kimball's podcast called the uh, Blues NHL Podcast, and I sat down with them and talked to them and got to know them, and we talked about stories. Uh, Kimball and especially Rivers talking about a story of how he was drinking with uh, Hugh Hefner. It was the week that Hefner died, and telling stories about Hugh Hefner. It's just like these are just normal guys. And what people don't understand, I've spent a lot of time in Canada in a previous business before I got into podcasting. And I have yet to meet a hockey player, Adam, 
that is not really down to earth. It's not, it's, I've interviewed baseball players and some other podcasts, football players, and there are some very nice people in both of those sports. But when it comes to all the hockey players I've met, interviewed, got to be close to, be they've become acquaintances, I have yet to meet people that are that are more down to earth, more normal people, more guys you could just go to a bar and have a beer with, more guys you could get out on the pond and play and play pond hockey with them. And I think that's one thing that differentiates hockey players from other guys is a lot of these guys come from blue collar families where their dads got up with them at 4:30 in the morning to go out with them on the pond or take them to the rink and get them to practice and then pick them up after school and take them to their games and practice on the weekends. It's like these guys were raised to be great people. And most of them, actually all of them, like I said, I've met are just nice people. That You know, that's it's so interesting that you say that. And I want to ask some of your other theories of why you think that. But I, I agree. I've worked in all the sports. And there's something about hockey that is just – and I know people are probably like, oh, you guys are just pushing hockey. But it, it, it is. Like, I've worked with pro basketball players. I've worked with pro baseball players, MMA fighters. MMA fighters, a lot of them are really mellow there, too. There's obviously exceptions to the rule there. But there is something about hockey that, and also the community. Like, when you get an okay by the players, right, like, you are in a community in the hockey world that's so, like, that's what Ice Guardians has afforded me now. Like, if there's any hockey doc that I, me and my team are interested in doing – as soon as it's mentioned now that, oh, these are the guys that did Ice Guardians, they're like, when are you coming to interview us? Like, it's in. They're like, you have got our respect. There is a, there is like an unwritten pass in the NHL now that it's the most humbling thing. Like, we just went to St. Louis. Now, given Kelly Chase is an executive producer, and he is super respected in St. Louis. Brett Hall is his friend, and they're like the, yes. you know, they, they like run St. Louis, right? And Jamie Rivers yes, is there. And, yes, they do. But when, when we went for Grant Fuhr, I cannot tell you the respect. Like, I've never had such a great time shooting in an NHL arena. They treated oh, us like, like we were one of the players. Like, nothing was off limits. We were like, hey, can we shoot in the dressing room? They're like, sure. Can we just wait till like, the players are done practice and they're not in there? And we're like, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like, we don't want them in there. Like, we want to do, like, a sit-down. Like, just everything. Like, oh, can we shoot in the owner's box? No problem. Can we come down on ice level? No problem. Like, just everything was done. All the players – like, we actually – I had to tell Kelly, stop sending players to us because everyone – like, Kelly was like – Kelly was like, this is my producing partner from Ice Guardians. They're doing Fierzy's project. And, like, everyone. We had Marty Brodeur, Brett Hall, Al McInnes, um, Rivers. Uh, like, they all mm-hmm. interviewed. Like, Kelly's like, oh, I can get this guy and this guy. I'm like, Kelly, we only did the research to do, like, ten interviews. I can't do a hundred, right? Like, I just <laughs> – we have to prepare and do questions. And do Like, we didn't prepare for all that, man. Like, I don't have the – and he's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. What about this guy and this guy? Oh, I forgot this guy. Like, everyone was just jumping at it. It, it just was so good, but like once you're in, like Kelly Chase is now a dear, dear friend, right? And it's it. He's a great guy. He's girl. just a he's oh. a great guy. Kelly, I mean, and it was the same with Ice Guarding. Once he got on board, like he would just put the phone call into guys, and they wouldn't even question it. Like he'd just be like, "Hey, Rob Ray, you need to do this. This is the doc about enforcers." <laughs> and Rob drove up from Buffalo to Toronto on his own dime. Didn't get paid. Did the hour? Did the two-hour interview and drove home, right? Just because Kelly Chase said you would do that, I would be hard pressed to see any other sport do that. Where a guy says, "Hey, you should really do this," 
and just do it because I think they're telling the right story. And they would drive, you know, an hour and a half, do a two hour interview, like all on their own dime and not ask for anything. Right. Like there is, there's a special community with hockey that I personally haven't experienced with the other sports. And once you're in that brotherhood of hockey, like the doors open forever. There is something special. A lot of these guys have played against each other or with each other on some team in some junior league or college or cross paths or played against each other. I mean, even we saw with the enforcers, these guys, some guys that had ended each other's careers, Kevin Westgarth sure. ended Parker's career. It was his last pro fight. And Parker couldn't wait to meet him when we did an event in New York and they're taking pictures together. And Parker's like, you know, and Wesley's like, Parks, like, you know, I'm sorry. Like Parker's like, dude, I did the same thing to Stu Grimson. Don't say sorry to me, man. Like I understand what you're going through. Like we're, we have a brotherhood and a bond that's now connected us for life. Like it's, it was awesome. It was, you know, actually having to work on that and then work on some other ones. And I won't put anybody under the bus and it's not the grand fear project. That's another hockey one. It's been amazing. But then to work on some of these other docs and see kind of the headaches you have to deal with, with ego and yeah. politics and dealing with managers. I'm like, Holy shit. I was so spoiled with these hockey films where someone puts in a phone call and it's just like, sure, I'll do it. Right. Whereas you deal with these other ones, it's like, well, you got to clear the publicist and a manager and this guy, and how much am I getting paid? And I'm like, Oh, I want to go back to just dealing with hockey players. They're so much better and like don't ask for anything. It's it's we're really spoiled with Ice Guardians and Fuhr. That when I go back to other docs and like everyone's like, What's in it for me? And I can't I'm like, Oh fuck. I just like I wanna go back to hockey players. <laughs> like they're just so much better to work with. It's 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 a Canadian thing and I'm I'm not being cheesy, but as I said, I used to do a lot of business in Canada and I met a lot of people up there. I did a lot of business in Edmonton, Grand Prairie. And like you were saying, it's minus 30 in Edmonton. It's probably minus 50 in Grand oh, Prairie. Oh, yeah, it's minus, yeah, um, minus, it's minus 50 with the wind chill yeah. in Yellowknife oh, right now. Goodness. They said it's the coldest place on the planet right now. Yeah. <laughs> or, cold, or, coldest, or coldest city right now. Oh, geez. And, and I've, I've done business in Calgary, Cochrane, Alberta. You know, and I went to Red Deer and seen seen some Red Deer Rebels games, and I will tell you one thing, and I am not joking. I'm 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 being totally serious here. After we would, after we would do our business, we would go and you know go to a pub, go to a bar, have a few beers. I have yet to go to a pub or a bar in any of those cities I mentioned, and some a few others, to where I start talking hockey with somebody. And by the time the conversation was over, these people didn't know me. All they knew I was up from, I was an American businessman up there doing business in, in, in Canada. I would get invited to play hockey every single time. And I would say, I didn't bring my skates or my equipment. Oh, d- d- don't worry about it. We've got extra stuff. Can you make it? And I I, 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 I couldn't believe yeah, it. You, you, you start, you start. As an American, like, even though we know the game's growing a lot down there and, you know, but in the grand scheme of things, it's still small compared to baseball or football. So you, you as an American come up to Canada, you start talking and you know, hockey, like you're in, people are like, Oh, you're in, you want to go play in the pond? Like you're, there is some, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I I've noticed, like I said, I've worked on docs and many of the genres and there's, just, I mean, even looking now with Grant Fuhr, like here's a guy that is a five time Stanley cup champion. He is the first black player to win a Stanley Cup, the first black player to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, one of the most decorated goaltenders to ever play. 
And he is, we just interviewed some of his like elementary friends from Spruce Grove. And they're like, Grant is exactly the same guy that we went to elementary school with as he is now. They're like, when he won the cups and the fame, it never affected him. Grant is so mellow and so humble. And like, if you didn't know who he was, like he did, even his, his latest wife, Lisa was talking, like she hung out with him for a whole day, had no idea he was a hall of fame goaltender. So someone else was like, Hey, can you get your friend Grant to like, come to this tournament? We need hall of famers. And she's like, he's a hall of famer for what? And she's like, they're like, you don't know who you were golfing with all day. They're like, only one of the greatest goaltenders to ever play. And she's like, really? He never said anything like Grant. Even it's so funny in the interview thing, because Grant was always knowing as not being a big talker. He'll totally talk, but he just won't talk about himself and stuff until you ask him. Right. So you'll say like, Hey Grant, what about this? And he'd be like, Oh yeah, you know, I accomplished that. And then we'll be like, no, no, no. Go into detail about how that all happened. And this, he's like, Oh, okay. Like, and then he'll go into it, but he just, it's not in his personality for him to brag about himself or it's just not him. He's just so, he's been just a dream to work with. Like, like everybody else, it's, this isn't so easy. And we're like, Hey Grant, are you available on this day to fly to Edmonton? Yeah, I'll make it work. Hey Grant, can you make this work? Yeah, no problem. Hey Grant, can you get us your original helmet to film? Yeah, no problem. Like it just is so awesome and easy to work with him. You really get spoiled with hockey players and you quickly remember once you go to other genres and everything's like pulling teeth. It's like, oh, and then we're not, we're, yeah, that's right. We're not interviewing hockey players anymore. We're interviewing people with egos. <laughs> now, I've heard, I've never met Grant myself, but I have heard so many stories from other people that secondhand and also people that knew him. Uh, we all know that goalies have a little bit of a different personality. Uh, I was, yeah, I was, yeah I was, we bring that up in our questioning. Yeah, I, I was a goalie growing up, and people used to say, You've got to be strange to be a goalie to have a little rubber puck shot at you at 80 to 100 miles an hour. And yeah, you've got to be a little strange, but I'm sure he he must have rubbed some teammates wrong because people would tell me that, you know, they're all worried about the game that night. They've, you know, all hockey players, most of them are superstitious. They've got their little daily routines. And if you didn't know Grant and you found out that the morning of a game, he's out playing golf because he's so relaxed. Yeah. He's one of the most yeah. relaxed people yeah, you'd ever want to meet. And I'm sitting there going, but that's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's what we found was made him so successful. And you'll see this now, and this was brought up recently. And I'm going to my Oilers thing where Brassois, who was in net, there was a game where he let in a real weak one. And then he was like looking behind him, like, you know, the lights gone on, the arena's cheering and he's still like pretending, looking like, how did this go behind me? This is and right away, like, I was talking to Grant about that. He's like, I'm not trying to diss him or anything, but he's like, that's showing the players you're second-guessing your abilities, right. right? And one of Grant's greatest assets that's kind of getting discovered in this doc is nobody was able to shake off a goal better than him. Nobody. Grant might have won games where it was 5-4, mm-hmm. but he'll make, you know, he might have let a couple weak ones in, but when it comes time to make that big save so that you can get that fifth goal – Everyone we've talked to, from Martin Brodeur to other people, said that's why he's known as the ultimate money goalie because Grant could shake off a goal better than anybody else. He was like, okay, yeah, I let two or three bad ones in. I will not let the next one in, right? Where so many players get caught up in the mistakes they made, even forwards and stuff. They're like, ah, I should have scored there, and now they start squeezing their stick, and they're saying that Grant's ability to be calm was why he was so good because – he could play four or five bad games and he could come back in and then battle back hard. 
and like talking to Jamie Rivers, who was a rookie defenseman in front of him, like he didn't beat you up if you miss a defensive play, right? Grant would be calm and be like, don't worry, we'll get the next one, right? Like so good at doing that and hearing stories. I'm, I don't know if Rivers told you, but like when he talked about playing with uh, noodles, where he said like he had to have a stick a certain way and skates position uh-huh. this and this and all these different things. And he's like, I'd go in there and fuck with him all the time. I'd move his stick and move his skates. And he's like, Grant would take pads right out of the box because he loved the way that new pads felt and just go play that night. And other that's players, like we talked to Messi and everything. They're like, they're like, that's crazy to me. Messi, like, I would take elbow pads and play with them for two mm-hmm. weeks and fidget with them and adjust them before I'd use them. He's like, Grant would take them right out of the box. He's like, like you would see them in the game. And people are like, I don't even see a puck mark on that thing. And they're like, well, no, that's because he took them right out of the box. Like, Grant had an ability like that. And that's that calmness that he'd bring to the team because he was always calm. Right, he would just bring that level of calm. It's one of the reasons that we've kind of discovered that hasn't really been talked about, is that that calmness brought calm to the rest of the team sure because did. Grant was never worried, even if he let in four goals in the first period. He was like, okay, he's like, I will make sure that I make the stops from here on in. And oh, like I wasn't a huge, you know, uh, goalie fan, and like I was really young when Grant was around, so obviously I knew who he was, but I didn't know his whole story. But when you go into some of the things he's done, and I want to give all the spoilers, I mean, his resurgence in St. Louis is nothing short of amazing. amazing. Totally when he did amazing. There, when, when, every, when everybody thought he was done, he came into training camp overweight. They got rid of Curtis Joseph, which everybody thought was crazy, right? You have one of the hottest goals in this league, and you take this you know, guy that was seemingly out to pasture. He played in L.A., was not successful, right? He'd been bumped in Buffalo by Hasek. He'd been bumped by... Um, Felix Podvan in Toronto, you know, everyone thought he was about done and then come in and shatter those records in St. Louis. And then, you know, the rebuilt knee, but in one of his final years in Phoenix, he had like a Babe Ruth moment where St. Louis was down three, one to Phoenix and they were the favorite team to win. Mm-hmm. And Grant is a guy that never spoke up in the dressing room. Usually that was Holly's position or somebody else who would kind of motivate the troops. Grant stood up and everyone was kind of like, Whoa, what Grant's talking. And he said, guys, I've let in a few bad ones in these games. He's like, I don't lose game sevens. So you help me to get you there, and I promise you I will bring home the win. And everyone, because Grant didn't normally speak, like was like, okay, we're going to back him up. And in overtime, he wins one nothing mm-hmm. against Phoenix I in game seven. That. I remember from that. Two games earlier. And this is when he was like, all you know, he only played a few more years. He played, I think, one more year in St. Louis, then went to Calgary mm-hmm. and retired. Yep. Right, but for a goalie in hockey where there's so many things of like the puck can bounce and it can get deflected and you can get a weird call, for him to call that two games previously, you get me to game seven, I won't lose, and he took it to overtime. It's been the one thing when we say, What's your moment when you if you're gonna pick one from Grant? That's the one is like young players are like he was goddamn magical that night. Like, and because he said that, like, and sure, you can look. There was times when there was a puck rolled through the crease and Jamie Rivers threw it out and things like that. But because he said that and because he was so confident in himself and the calm guy, the team elevated and Pierre Turgeon scored in overtime with one mm-hmm. nothing. Like, that gives me goosebumps telling the story right now. Like, who can do that, right? Like, hockey's such a game of, I don't want to say luck, but, man, there's a lot of deflections and weird things that can happen that – just don't happen in some of the other sports. 
he is he is definitely, and not just because I'm doing his doc, in my opinion, the greatest goaltender that has ever played in the league. Like, what he accomplished and, and overcoming the suspension, which was total bullshit. Yes, it was. The way that that all came to be, too. Um, which is fascinating for us to dig on that because there's some really interesting stuff with his suspension, is that his suspension, first of all, it would never happen today. Never. No. Because he never failed the team test and he never failed the league test. For those that don't know and your listeners that are listening, the only reason Grant was suspended is because he openly admitted that he had used a prohibited substance, mm-hmm. which would never fly in today. Nope. He was used as, as a scapegoat from the NHLPA so that they could use that as a bargaining tactic to make sure the players had protection for substance abuse. And without giving too much away, because this is going to be a big like reveal in the film, is that the only reason it ever came out is that they were already doing a story in the Edmonton Journal and Sports Illustrated. And Grant, being the kind of guy he was, was given the opportunity. He said, look, we're going to publish this story with or without you. We've got witnesses and stuff like that. So you can have your say or we're going to release it next week. So Grant... Being the stand-up guy he was, he's like, well, I'd rather at least you try to take some of my words, even if you bend them and twist them or take them out of context. At least I have some say in this. And because he admitted in that interview that he'd used the substance, and I'm not going to say the substance now. It's admitted in the film, though. We don't hold any punches. Um, He was suspended. The league then said, you cannot be an NHL player and admit to have used an illegal substance, so we're going to ban you for a year. Nobody else... And the interesting thing is, if you go to NHL.com and you look at all the suspensions in NHL history, they don't list Grant Fierce because he's one of the only Hall of Famers to ever get suspended for that lengthy of a sentence. And he never should have been suspended because he never failed any team test or league test because they didn't have any at that time. And there was no official NHL rule book. There's no rule for them at that time on how to address this. So they just made an example out of him. Yeah, it was, it was a farce. And I, I tried to look some stuff up on that cause I remembered it. And like you said, I could not find any, it's anything hard about to find it. it. It's hard to find. It's really interesting how that all went down. Right. Because I think now looking back, you know, the NHL is embarrassed that they did that. Sure to one of their are. greatest goaltenders of all time, that they used him as a scapegoat And you want to talk about a guy that took it on the chin. We found old footage of him where he came on a sports talk show here in Edmonton and took callers calling in about his suspension and his use. I'm like, you go find me any pro athlete today. Never. Like at the time, he was a five-time all-star that would go on a talk show and allow callers to call in and ask him about his suspension. Not a chance would anybody do that. And not only did Grant do it back then, he did it in this film. We were all worried that he wouldn't go there. Grant went into everything. He didn't hide any, like, instantly as we were doing the interview, I was like, I am a giant fan of this man. Because I know there are players out there that are still hiding these demons in their closet. Here's a guy that came out and took it on the chin. One of the questions on that call show from Monster Sports in the 80s had a guy call in and say, hey, you know, I respect that you're taking this, you know, so head on and doing what you're doing. He's like, but I also at the same time have an issue with players like you that do this and then get away with it and don't get punished like a regular person. What do you have to say to that? And Grant Fear's response to me was nothing short of brilliant. He said, he's like, well, in fairness, he's like, 
if a regular person like you was caught doing what I was doing and somebody took it to the authorities, as was done for me, all that happened for me is I had personal people take my private rehab journals to the media and expose it. He's like, there's only three people in the world that knew and had my personal journals, and one of them is sitting right here. Only two people that knew and released it. If they did that for you, no media would pick it up. They wouldn't care. You're a regular person. But because I'm an athlete, it made national news, right? And he's like, and because I was an athlete, I was suspended for a full year without pay, and I was punished, even though I never failed a drug test. I was never caught with anything. I never broke a law or was arrested, and then the guy was kind of like, holy, I never thought about it that way. So he's like, you look at it one way. I think the punishment was completely appropriate for what I did. He's like, I admitted my mistakes. I went into a rehab clinic and my rehab things were released to the media without my consent. And for that, I was punished. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an amazing thing. Like you said, it wouldn't happen to day number one from an athlete because his uh, agent wouldn't let him do it. And the team probably wouldn't let him oh, do yeah, it. They, they, it, it's it's amazing how well, and just now that the PA that the PAs got protections in there, and now they look at it as like, okay, if he does have a substance abuse problem, let's get him help instead of punishing him, you know. And as Grant said, like in the thing, he, like he and that's the other thing is when this all came out, he'd already stopped using for over a year. He'd already gone to two rehab clinics, like he was done. But they wanted to tell a story. He's like, man, I haven't used in a year and a half, right? Like it's not. I never had a problem. Grant's like. I'm 20. He was in his mid twenties. He'd won five or four, four Stanley cups or five Stanley cups at the time, six time all-star. He's like, yeah, did I make mistakes? I'm a five time Stanley cup champion. I'm in my twenties. I'm playing with the greatest players that ever played. Yeah. We partied. We made mistakes. We're 20 years old. What do you expect? Yeah. And you know, what's amazing is back then in that era in the eighties and nineties, I'm going to tell you one thing. Cause I know it for sure. There were a lot of other guys in the NHL doing a lot worse things that never would have met oh, it to yeah. it. Trust me. <laughs> Ex- well, exactly. And that's something that, you know, and again, the quality of Grant, and this is just some of the hockey players, is that Grant is like, I'll talk everything about me, but I'm definitely not going to talk about anybody else or any. And we're like, obviously, we don't want to go no. there either. We don't want to. That's not the. We're telling your story. It's not the outing of other people. But, you know, that leads me into the next thing that, I wanted to talk about what's what's going on, you know, like always the media is rearing up the fighting and concussion issues and causing problems. And you're hearing about the Stephen Pete thing and Matt Johnson, they can't find them right now. And everybody's saying, saying, look, look what happens to enforcers. And yes, I'm glad that these guys are starting to get some attention and support from other players. And that's great. But again, to put this all on the enforcers is very misguided, Right. And the media and people need to stop doing this because without throwing names out there, I know of several other superstars that have been in rehab this year, but you don't hear about that. The guys that never fought and never had head trauma that are going through similar things, but you're not hearing about them because they've got the money to hide it from the media, right? Something that is very overlooked in pro sports, especially hockey, it seems to be even a little bit more because of that close camaraderie we're talking about is like, what about just the depression that comes when you've been playing the sport since you're five years old, you have a regiment, you have a team, you have been doing this since you were five, where it's like, get up at this time, practice, eat this, train, hang out with your brothers that you're in this, you're traveling with them, you're rooming with them. And then all of a sudden, 
And then you're not even at the peak of an adult. You're maybe late 20s, early 30s, maybe mid 30s if you had a really good career. And you're, you're like, at, that's when most people hit their stride as an adult. You know, you're still a very young man and now it's over, right? You've built your identity on being a pro hockey player and it's over, right? Now your agent's not calling you as much because you're not valuable to him anymore, right? He can't get you any tryouts. You don't have the camaraderie of the team. Like, sure, even if you have good friends, they're now busy. They're still playing. They're still trying to stay in the NHL. They'll call you when they can, but they've got their own kids and their own family, so you're maybe getting a call once a month. There's a huge part that is being grossly overlooked, not just with hockey players, but with all athletes, of that. And that, yes, in combination with concussions and injuries and everything else, it all plays a picture with mental illness and depression and substance abuse. But again, to say this is all the enforcers, it's not. Because there's a ton of other players going through similar things that didn't have concussion issues. Everything being tied to concussions is, even from the concussion specialists we interviewed said, we are seeing that, but to put everything on the concussion just isn't right. There's a lot going on with mental illness and addiction. And to just say, oh, it's the fighters, it's head trauma, it's concussions, is wrong. Yeah, I, I don't One like player that we either. can talk about is Mike Ribeiro, right? Because mm-hmm. that's pretty open in the media sure right now. Here's a prolific scorer that went missing for four months. Kelly chasing him and trying to track him down, trying to help him. They found him on a beach recently, I think in North Carolina or something like that, and he was drunk and nude, and, and, they, and people were trying to tell him to get the hell out of there, and he's like, I'm a pro hockey player, and they're like, sure you are, bud, right? They're like, you're a bum, right? Like, battling addiction and, and depression and everything else, like, it's happening to a lot of other players. You just don't hear about it because a lot of the, the enforcers are the ones that, hey, it's a media narrative they're constantly trying to push. The media hones in on those guys. And let's be honest, a lot of them didn't make much money. They probably didn't save it, right? And they're battling with it. And again, I'm not saying these guys don't have issues from their career and fighting and head trauma. Absolutely, they do. But to put everything that's negative about substance abuse and depression on concussions, I mean, interesting for those that have read the Stephen Pete articles, if you read, the thing that's fascinating to me is the only time they talk about him looking excited and positive is when they reflect on his old career. And when he talks about his fight, they're like, that is when he's most in tune, and that is when he starts living up, and he's got energy, and he talks about how exciting it was, and then they talk about all the damage it's done to him. And I'm like, right even as you hear that description, you're like, wow, look, why – part of that depression is coming in is because he was like, man, I was a hero in communities. People would chant my name at arenas and now I can't even get a cup of coffee. I'm looked at like a bum, right? I'm battling substance abuse. My family doesn't know how to deal with me. You know, that is part of the issue that he is going through. I'm not, again, making it clear to the audience. I'm not saying that the fights and the head trauma and stuff don't weigh into that, but you have to look at everything in general and, one of the things that's unfortunate with the media, but I understand because that's how they make money, right? They want clickbait. They want people getting there. You know, it's, they're not covering the other players that this is happening to. And a lot of those players have good agents and lots of money, so they're deflecting it and they're hiding it too. But this isn't an enforcer issue. This is a pro athlete issue that when you identify yourself as a human being, as a pro hockey player, and then that ends, the depression that sets in. It- I fully understand that. And, you know, one thing, that people need to realize, and I know from talking to you in the past, that here's the issue. Mental illness, 
affects people, whether you're a guy that's homeless on yep. the street, a woman that's homeless on the street, whether you're a billionaire, it's 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 not prejudice. It it, it affects everybody, and it can get worse when you do make more money because like you said, you're expected to be this person. You're expected to do this. You're expected to, to, to do that. You're making, I don't know, a million dollars a year, $10 million a year, whatever it is you make in the NHL and other sports. And in my mind, what people don't understand is that can make these tendencies sometimes worse. And it's got nothing to do with being a so-called goon or an enforcer. There's different pressure when you're in the public eye as opposed to when you're not in the public eye. And there's different pressure when you're used to being in the public eye. And then all of a sudden you're not anymore. Like you said, you know, people used to yell his name and chant his name and he'd probably get dinner bought for him. He'd probably get this bought for him. And now nobody even looks at him and believes that he's an NHL player. What, what would that be like? People don't understand what that would be like. You've spent your whole life from the time your dad put you in skates when you were two or three years old, you get in the NHL, whether you've got three seasons in the NHL, whether you've got 10 seasons in the NHL, whether you're a star player, whether you're an average player, whether you're a guy that's been up and down through minors, and all of a sudden that stops, Adam, that's got to play on everybody mentally. Well, and it stops when a lot of people are in the peak of their life. Like, you know, when you're in your... You know, you're in your late 20s or early to mid 30s. Like, that's when most people's careers, like, that's when most people are kind of like got their degree and their careers just start. That's when your life's supposed to just start clicking, right? And for these people, like, essentially, no one's coming out and saying it, but they're saying your your life's over. Like, hockey's done. You've been doing it since you're saying two or three. Now it's over, right? Figure it out. What do you do? And, you know, yeah, and what do people, you do? not only just the regiment and knowing what you're doing all the time, but even just you identify as a person, you're like, Oh, I am so-and-so the pro hockey Mm -hmm. player. Right. And now you're not, you're so-and-so the retired pro hockey player. Right. Like it's interesting because we were talking to Grant about this and I was like, Grant, like, cause he talked about on the last few years of his career, he's like, my mind was still there and the competitive was still competitive nature still there, but my body wasn't. It was falling apart. It was clearly not there. I couldn't compete at the level I wanted to, so I knew I had to go out to pasture. I was like, Grant, what's that like playing from the time you're through? Because I don't even, I can't even relate. But I remember when he was saying in the interview, it really struck me that when we were driving home, like, Grant, what is that like knowing that, you know, it's ending for you, this, this childhood dream and all the great, like, you can feel it. Your body's just not there. Things you were able to do, you just can't do anymore. And he's like, he's like, Adam, honestly, he's like, two things he said he's like one i was very lucky because i found golf which is easy on my body but still i can be super competitive about right and i can challenge myself i can challenge my mind and i can challenge myself to constantly try to get better he's like secondly the other thing is he's like i would rather be that where my mind is there but my body is failing versus the guys that you see that they're still in great physical condition in their late 20s and early 30s but they just can't perform anymore it's just not there for whatever reason, their awareness or their abilities or their confidence. He's like that I've seen affect close friends of mine that have played more than anything. He's like, when you're still physically there, you do the fitness testing with the team and you're beating all these young guys, you're killing them, right? And your comp- your compete is still there. Your mind is still there. But for whatever reason, you just can't perform. You can't deliver. He's like, mm-hmm. it breaks grown men. Right. When like, how did I get 30 goals, 
three years in a row, and now I just can't. Like, I'd be lucky if I get 10, but I, I can beat these guys in fitness. I can beat them in strength and conditioning. Why can I not deliver? He's like, that crushes guys. Right? Well, and I, then, I can only imagine so. And, you know, I wanted to get one point in real quick. It's that if you look at Grant Fuhrer's career, and anybody that says he wasn't the best goalie ever, or at least in the top couple, you know, a lot of people talk about Jacques Plant and Hall, and then they talk about uh, Terry Sawcheck and some of the older goalies, and they are great goalies. But if you look at Grant Fuhrer's career, and, you know, it all started, he was drafted eighth overall by the Edmonton Oilers in 81, so there was a lot of expectations for him. He comes into the league, and through the years, if you look at his, his goals against, and a lot of people look at him and think they weren't great, but they've got to look at it this way. That was a different era. If a goalie had a 3.3, a 3.4 goals against, that was pretty good in that era. There were very few guys that were under three. In fact, I don't remember too many of them that averaged that. He gets to St. Louis in 95-96. He's, he's, you know, 30-some-odd years old. He played 79 games in 95-96. 73 games in 96-97. At on 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 a completely rebuilt knee the following year when Kiprios took him out in the playoffs he wore all three major ligaments it was the first time that surgery was done in St. Louis because they told him that was career ending when he got that they said oh you're done and Grant said no no no. I have to be in training camp in four months and they were like four months they're like the rehab in between each ligament is like eight to ten weeks he's like well then you're gonna have to do all three right and they had never even heard of that then he rehabs it's the first time he got with a trainer this is all in the dock it's fucking fantastic then he gets with Kersey to train him and get him diet first time he ever did that right to start like I need to like get my vitamins up and health and rehab to get my knee back then in training camp he makes it back but every time he goes down and make a save he can feel one of the screws smacking into his kneecap so he goes to the doctors like I need to have this looked at and he said it was very unmedical. Like they said, okay, if the screw's bugging you, they cut an X in his knee, took a Black and Decker drill, drilled the screw out, stitched up his knee, and he went back in the next week and started doing training camp. And then played 73 consecutive games the next year. Well, hey, everybody thought he was done. He showed up training camp. He showed up to training camp overweight. Yeah, I definitely remember that, and. I don't know if Keenan was concerned about it, but I know a lot of the fans were, and they weren't sure if Grant Fuhrer was going to be Grant Fuhrer again. They actually sent him back to Edmonton. Uh, like they, they, he went to do his VO2 test because Keenan, it was the first time they'd started doing VO2 tests. And he just started doing the fitness thing because this is right when the era started to change. Of like, look, you need to come into training camp in shape, not get into shape during training camp, right? And and Jamie Rivers was in there with Grant, and he was like kind of starstruck. He's like, oh, shit, I'm in here with Grant. And then Grant went to do the VO. And just as he got the VO2 up and running, he said, okay, I'm good. And they're like, no, 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 you just got the pedals going to be able to do the test. He's like, no, I'm good. I'm done, Right. Grant Fuhrer didn't have his first real goalie coach until he played in Buffalo after he'd already won five Stanley Cups. He is, oh yeah, when this, if you, I promise you, if you are not a Grant Fuhrer fan before the documentary, you will be after the documentary. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what, when I played hockey in the 80s, I was a Grant <laughs> Fuhrer fan. I always pretended to be two goalies. 
Mike Leod of the Blues or Grant Fuhr. When I made a when I made a save, I always thought in my mind, man, that that's like a Grant Fuhr save. So, you know, trust me, I I idolized the man when I was growing up, and it, it's just amazing what this guy went through. And I want everybody to see this documentary when it's done. Just like the Ice Guardians, I tell everybody if you haven't seen it, see it. Buy a copy of it. Give it to your friends. Tell them to buy a copy of it. Heck, you know. I, when I first interviewed you about the ice guardians, you gave me a link where I could go watch it and I got to watch it, but I still went and bought a copy of it because it's so great. And I just, I can't wait to see this from Grant Fuhr because I've always been a big fan of his and he's always been that down to earth, normal Canadian person. That's just hardworking blue collar. And it, it, it just people that don't know Grant Fuhr, and they don't know what he's went through, what he did to get where he was, and how he maintained it, how he came back in St. Louis. Once you watch this, I'm sure that it's going to be amazing. I'm sure there were some things that amazed you when you made it. What are some of those things that did amaze you? Well, all this stuff, like, you know, looking at, like, he had a 20-year career, right? Everybody knows, or most people know, his Edmonton success. But the St. Louis stuff especially a lot of Canadians don't know how great he was there, right? Like he really, everyone had pretty much all given up on him. And you got to thank the great one because it was Mike Keenan had a meeting with Gretzky um, and asked him and Janet, Hey, I'm looking at bringing Grant into St. Louis. Can he still play? And Wayne said, absolutely. And it was because of that, that Curtis Joseph was let go. And then they signed Grant here. Everybody thought they were crazy. And the blues were a good team that year. Gretzky there, Brett Hall, like Pronger. They had a great team, but they came out of the gates playing really shitty. And Brett Hall is quoted as saying, like, thank God Grant was here because we wouldn't have a winning record right now if it wasn't for him. This one that everybody had kind of hung out to dry and said they were done, other than a few players that had played with him, said he still got it. And to break those records and do what he did, you know, and, and be this guy just just grew up in Spruce Grove that was adopted. Most people don't know that. He was raised by adopted parents. His biological father tried to introduce himself after he won the second Stanley Cup. You know, the racial barriers that he broke through, although he's openly admitted dozens of times, he's like, I really didn't experience any real racism until I went to Buffalo. He's like, growing up in Canada in Spruce Grove, we didn't have the racial, you know, the, the polarized, you know, racial fighting that they had in the United States. He's like, I did experience growing up in Canada. He's like, plus, I was under a goalie's mask. So he's like, unless you saw my fro, I don't know if you really knew I was black, right? So he's like, he's like uh, but he really didn't experience anything until he went to Buffalo. You know, and then the rebuilt knee and just like, it's, it's amazing that all this went on from this, this humble guy. And to interview his elementary friends that say the same thing, they're like, Grant's the same guy. Like, he just, we hang out, like, he's still Barry Rimmer that we're going to be interviewing next week. They've been friends since they were eight. Every time he comes to Edmonton, they get together for a drink and go for lunch or go for dinner. Eight years old, right? Grant still comes back to Spruce Grove and loves to go in there. Like, he, he's just this guy that – and, I mean, this is – you know, when he was doing – it was long before there was even aspirations of playing. Like, you know, one of his childhood friends we interviewed, Linda, said she's like, you know, Grant made his own way. Like, this is before you started doing summer camps to train and try to get ready to make a tryout for a spring league. And, like, Grant just played because he loved. He had no idea in junior high or high school that he was going to make the NHL and do – he just loved playing hockey. He would skip school and go play hockey on the outdoor rinks. And, 
like you didn't train like nowadays they're trying to groom kids from the time they're seven be like oh look he's got some skating ability let's get him on the ice get him to summer camps do this do off ice training you know all this crazy stuff there's none of that he just went out and did it right and like that's why i said i'm like grant how did you win five stanley cups without a goalie goalie coach he's like he just figured it out he's like slats was the kind of guy that's like if you didn't perform he would just you would be benched so you had to figure it out and and Flats has told us stories. Oh, I'm giving so many spoilers here, but how he was always on Grant about his fitness because Grant had incredible athletic ability, but he didn't like train like some of the other guys did. Grant's just like, oh, I'll rely on my reflexes. No one's better. So Slats, there's also things you can't do. Slats would get the tennis ball machines and shoot tennis balls at him at 120 miles an hour and say, okay, I want you to stop these, right? Like, so Grant, he'd have them in there. And the other players was like, what are you doing to this poor guy? The one thing about Grant, like I said, I've heard all all stories about him. I have yet to see in any interview that asked about Grant Fuhr, players that played with him, players that played against him, where somebody said something negative about him. And if you can go through life, especially in a professional career, whether it's NHL, NFL, NBA, MLB, whatever, it's professional soccer, and you can't find somebody to really say something negative about you, not only were you probably a good player, you're a good person. And it is very apparent to me from everything I've learned about him and from talking to you and seeing interviews about him that he's a great person all around. He's been such a treat to work with. And even here's the thing you learn with Grant too, is money's never been a big thing for him. When he was negotiating with the Oilers, he got paid way less than he should have because he was with a great team. And, you know, we asked that thing. There's times guys were making 400 grand a year and Grant was only making a hundred, even after mm-hmm. he won three Stanley cups. Mm-hmm. Right. And Grant's like, yeah, but I got to play with the greatest team ever assembled. Like I didn't want to leave. I don't really care. Like, you're just like, wow. They're like, if only there was more players like that in today, in any sport, right. That's sure. just like, wow, you really love the game, right? Like he truly loved. And same with even the doc, when we were negotiating money and how it's all going to work, that was the least of his concern. He's like, oh, just talk to Brian and my man. Like, I, I just want to do this. I'm just so honored that you guys are one. Like, you're just like, what? Really? Like, that just, he didn't care. It was all about telling the story right and that the team that did Ice Guardians was doing it. Like, he was just like, Morgan, like, he's been such a treat to work with. And like you said, we take him to St. Louis. Oh, my God, the city stood on end for him, right, with Brett Hall and everybody there. And you, anywhere you take him, people are like, oh, for Grant, for Furzy, for Furzy, for Coco, no problem. Like, we're... What, yeah, like they love this man. Like the calmness he brought, the like always joking. Like yeah, he's been an absolute treat to work with. Like I, I openly admit, I took this project originally just because I was a big Oilers fan and to work with everyone. I'm like, oh, this would be cool, and I've got the time. Uh, and now I've become so passionate about it just because Grant is one of those special individuals. Like so many of the enforcers I worked with, like Ray Boom Boom Mancini, where you're just like, man, like it has truly been an honor for me. And I can't wait to release the film um, this fall. Well, there'll be two cuts. We're doing two cuts here. for There'll be a TV cut that airs mm-hmm. on Rogers Sportsnet. That'll be a 45 minute kind of TV way, like every seven minutes, a commercial break. And yeah. then there'll be a director's cut, which will be around 75, 80 minutes that we're going to get like a limited theatrical release in the U S and, 
and uh, do much like Ice Guardians. We're hoping at Sundance we're going to meet with Netflix and everybody or Showtime and a few others to see who gets the U.S. premiere. But we will be doing a limited theatrical release. We're definitely doing a screening in St. Louis because um, Kelly, I already told Kelly, I'm like, just do exactly what you did with Ice Guardians. Let's just do the same thing. We'll get Grant out there and we'll do a big thing. We'll have Mike Claiborne do the Q&A with them yeah. and have Holly yeah. and Chase are up on there. And then we'll do a few other, L- where I think we're going to do D.C. and L.A., uh, maybe Palm Springs and some few other film festivals. And then Canada, we're going to do Kelowna, Edmonton, Toronto. Uh, we're hoping to do the director's cut at the Toronto International Film Festival. So that's kind of the the way we plan to release it as of right now. Adam, I am sure wherever you premiere this, wherever you take it to, it's going to be just as much of a success as Ice Guardians was and continues to be. And I'd love to touch base with you and possibly Grant uh, when you guys get ready to premiere it, hopefully here in St. Louis. Uh, well, we'll have to do another podcast right before then, and we'll get Grant on uh, talking about it and get get all that. He's so like again, he's so easy to work with and do promotions and all that. So uh, truly has I, I mean this, uh, you know, from the bottom of my heart and as genuine as I can say, I, I uh, am incredibly blessed to be able to do what I do and tell these amazing stories and and work with people like Grant Fuhr. I um, I constantly remind myself at least once a month where I just you know pinch myself and just say, Hey Adam, and not to say I didn't put in my work to earn it. You know, I, there's years where I worked three jobs and was trying to make films on the side and really tried to make this become a business and not just a hobby. But, uh, I, I couldn't be more thankful for what I get to do now and, and work and, and meet these incredible people, uh, and, and be able to work with guys like Grant Fury. It really is a dream come true for me. And I wouldn't want to do anything else. I'm, I'm, I'm where I want to be. And, uh, I just hope people continue to love watching the movies because without an audience, uh, I can't continue to make them. So <laughs> thank you for all those that have supported Ice Guardians. Thank you for constantly having me on your podcast and, you know, buying Ice Guardians even after I sent you a link. As, as cheesy as that may seem to be, uh, man, that, that makes a huge difference. Even if it's not the dollar value, like in order for us to get distributors to continue to pre-buy and to be able for us to afford to do these things, even if like the dollar, like once usually it's pre-sold, like we won't ever see the residuals from iTunes and everything that distributors have a good way of doing calculations that those never really turn a profit. Even if you're number one on iTunes for there's marketing and all these other things they put in there and iTunes takes 35%. But when the numbers are good, distributors are willing to come back. Right. And that's, what's been really interesting with ice guardians on Netflix is Netflix has said, They've been really, and this is about as good as you get from them because they never share numbers. They don't share analytics. That's their bargaining power. They just tell you that, yes, they're happy with their performance or no, we're not happy with their performance. So Netflix was really hesitant to take Ice Guardians on a worldwide deal because they didn't think hockey, they didn't think it, it brought enough value as a hockey film. They thought the production quality in the film was fantastic, but they're like, but it's hockey. We just don't know that a worldwide deal is going to be valuable for our customers. Um, and they took it with negotiation because they did love the film, and they've been extremely impressed with how it's been performing. So thank you, everyone that's tuned in, and I'm hoping we can do the same with Grant's story because I have a feeling it would absolutely crush in Europe and North America and places I think Grant Fuhr's story would absolutely, absolutely crush. So we're hoping to get another Netflix deal again. Um, Fingers crossed. Well, I don't think you'll have any problem doing that. Because like I said, I've I told people to go out and buy a copy or watch it on Netflix. 
And these are people that don't know hockey. And after they watched it, I got several people telling me, Adam, that, you know, I never understood why there's fighting in hockey. I thought it was barbaric. I thought people only went for the fights. But, you know, these guys are real people. These guys are just out doing a job. And and I I want to watch hockey now. And when somebody sees something you've done and you've put your effort into it, you can tell that in people that don't watch hockey, when they come up to comments and make comments like that to me, I just want to tell you, you know that you've done something right. Well, and I, I love hearing stories like those. They never get old. So please continue to share them because that's the same with me. We've, we've received thousands of messages like that on Twitter being like, look, I'm not saying I agree with fighting, but I now understand why it was there, how it's evolved over the years and who these people are as individuals. Like it's, it's really, you know, been very fortunate over the last couple of films that I've worked with everything I've worked with, with director, Brett Harvey, thousands and thousands and thousands of messages on the internet from all social media sites. People are like, wow, I've never looked at the subject matter the same way. Totally changed my view of hockey. Been a hockey fan for 30 years. I never looked at it this way. Mm -hmm. Like, as a filmmaker, that's what you dream of, is that you look at these people in a different way. You understand why they're doing what they're doing. You don't have to agree with it. In the heart and soul of the film, is not pushing you one direction or other, because we have the concussion specialist and stuff trying to, like, he disagrees with fighting. We have all that on there. Like, But really just understand who these guys are as individuals and why they did what they did and how in their sport, amongst their peers, it is honorable. It's why it's been there for shit 70 years right like if it wasn't honorable sure. you can't guys like that constantly want to do this if they weren't respected by their peers if you're not respect like i mean already enforcers have always had a tough time from the media and everybody yeah, else but if you were respected by your quick. peers too why would these guys do it like no one could love playing hockey that much and love the violence that much but yeah when Kelly Chase and Brett Hall become best friends and Brett Hall says, I would not have been the player I was without Brett Hall and Tony Twist having my back. You're like, yeah, I will sacrifice oh, wow, my body for something like that, right? Or Gretzky having the love and affection he did for Semenko. And when Semenko passed this summer from pancreatic cancer, super sad, he passed within like 45 days of getting diagnosed. There, there, was, four, there was almost 5,000 fans in the arena to come and celebrate him and twofold. I had clips of ice guardians shown in his memorial service, which I had no idea they were going to do. My daughter mm -hmm. pointed it out. I almost started to cry, but it made me, it made me realize something that when I was sitting there, I was like, man, there are hundreds of players that have played for the Oilers. Great players, many that have been goal scorers and, you know, had 30, 40 goal seasons that if they passed away, they wouldn't get a quarter of the reception. You know, Gretzky flew up, Messier was there, all these guys flew up. Now, do you think that they just flew up and honored this guy just because he played on their team, or just because he was some stupid goon? No. There's a reason there was 5,000 fans there and why those guys came up and everybody spoke for him is because they felt that he was an honored, valuable member of their teams, and they wanted to be there for him as an individual and a teammate. And for me, that solidified everything that Ice Guardians was about. It was like, these guys mean so much more to the sport of hockey and to the history of the game than they were given credit for. And that's what Ice Guardians' sole purpose is. Whether you agree with fighting in the game or not, whether you agree with these guys' role or not, they're a huge part of the sport's history. 
and their names and their role has to be honored in hockey's history just like anybody else that played, like the legendary goaltenders or the legendary scorers. And that's what the film was meant to do. And when I went to Semenko's funeral, that was on pure display because I could have named hundreds of players that had statistically and all the analytics that are brought up today. Like They probably had more points in Semenko in one season than he had in his whole time as an oiler, yet they wouldn't get even a 1,000 fans come to their funeral if they passed. Right, So there's something in there that these guys are special to their communities. You rally behind them as the human behavior specialist covers an ice guardians. There's something in our human DNA that we rally behind a guy that's really to put himself in harm's way for his team and the betterment of his team. And I just, you know, director Brett Harvey and I just thought that needed to be shared. And I, no matter what happens in my film career now with the Fear Project or any future projects, I can always put that asterisk next to there and be like, look, if I don't do anything else, I can be proud of that, right? If I don't do anything else, I can have that on the shelf and say, hey, if I die tomorrow, me and my team made Ice Guardians, and it will be forever remembered as a historical piece in hockey history. It's been great having you on again, Adam, my friend. And I hope this documentary, Now, nah, I don't hope, I know this documentary with Grant Fuhr is going to be just as good, if not better, than Ice Guardians Everybody, I'm sure, is in anticipation, just like myself. And hopefully, when you guys get ready to do that uh, premiere in St. Louis, I'll be able to get with you or maybe you and Grant, and we'll uh, talk again soon. Awesome. No, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. As I said just before, I mean, I, I wouldn't have a career without an audience. So thank you for taking the time to reach out to me and having me on. It means the world to me that that many people are tuning in and listening. I, 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 I'm flattered by that. I, I think it just, uh, it's probably the passion I expose, I guess. <laughs> I can talk too much at times, but I, you can hear it in my voice. I truly love when I'm doing these projects. It isn't for a paycheck for me. Of course, I need that to support my family, but I do these projects because I love it. And it's an honor to work with these guys and be able to talk about with people like yourself. So thank you very much for everyone to listen. And thank you for continually having me on. And you can mark my words, knowing the guy Grant is, we'll get Grant on the podcast. No problem. Why don't we go ahead and let everybody know how they can follow you, Ice Guardians, and also the Grant Fear story. Yeah. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, Adam score like a goal and then a big G because that's how my name's pronounced score pronounced score G. Um, if you want to follow the Grant Fear thing, it's called it's at making Coco because Grant Fear's nickname was Coco when he was younger growing up in uh, Spruce Grove. And that's also with coffee and a few of the guys called him was Coco. Um, and you can follow also the Instagram at making Coco. Uh, you can see we got great behind the scenes pics of all the guys we interview and, and as the journey goes on. Um, so yeah, please follow both of those. Um, and I'm pretty approachable. If you want to reach out to me about anything on any of these social media sites, you can track me down pretty easily as you've done yourself <laughs> You can track me down. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty easy to track down. Um, and yeah, please, uh, see ice guardians if you haven't already. And I, I really look forward to sharing, uh, making Coco, uh, the grand fear story with the world, uh, this spring and this fall, it's going to be exciting. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm sure all the fans of the drop podcast are again. Thanks Adam. And until next time uh, you stay safe and uh, I wish the best for your family. You too. Thank you. That was of course, Adam Scorgi, the executive producer of ice guardians and the man working on the new Grant Fear documentary, Making Coco. 
Thanks again for joining us for this great, great special episode. Make sure you check out Ice Guardian, one of the best hockey movies I have ever seen. And make sure to look for Making Coco coming out. Until next time, have a great start to your work week and stay safe. This has been the Drop Podcast. Don't forget to visit our website, www.droppodcast.com, where you can subscribe to our show and download current and past episodes from iTunes, Stitcher.com, and Google Play. You can follow The Drop on Twitter at OfficialTheDrop. For more information about lineupmedia.fm or The Drop Podcast, email us at info at lineupmediagroup.com, theofficialdrop at gmail.com, or lanced at droppodcast.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.